leader. Microphone checker one two. Microphone checker one two. Tell you what I'm gonna do. On and on and on is how the beat goes. So sell the British walkers and cut the afros. John Chaney coached 24 seasons at Temple, finished with a record of 516 and 253. He was elected to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 2001. Bet what a lot of you don't know is that he coached 10 seasons at Cheney State, winning a national championship in 1978 and is a graduate of Bethune-Cookman, then college. He had an overall record in his coaching career of 741 and 312, a 70% winning percentage, as we're joined by the legendary John Cheney. Coach Cheney, welcome to From the Press Box to Press Row. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Coach Cheney, seven years uh, since your retirement. Uh, have you ever or do you uh, miss coaching? Well, the only time I really miss uh, coaching is doing, uh, you know, March and April when it's time to fuss and do a lot of cussing. That's what I, that's the only time I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 no, I totally get that. And you know, just the, 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 the basketball today, collegiate basketball, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on it. And are you in favor of the NBA's one-year-in-college rule? Well, I, I, I find that uh, I go back to many, many years when we've been discussing uh, this way back from the beginning. Uh, when, uh, when we see that most of the great players in the NBA today, most of them have come out of high school. And I'm talking about the stars, if you look at it. If we were to go back and just take a look at the number of players that have come out of high school, how they've become the greatest players in the NBA. And you can start with any, any of the great players. No... Many of them didn't finish. In fact, to suggest that they should finish college, when college is supposed to be there that, uh, for every student to enhance his lifestyle. And I think that if a youngster has the ability to play at the next level out of college, I don't think anybody should deny him that opportunity. Uh, there's so many of them today uh, that uh, find themselves at the top of the heap, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kevin Garnett. You can just go down the list of them. Amari uh, 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 Stoudemire. I can just go down the whole list where these guys came out of high school. They allowed them to come out of high school in baseball. I find uh, that uh, this, is, this is not right to, to impose a ruling on youngsters. Kids start playing tennis. We had tennis champions at 14, 15 years old. Chang was a champion at 15, 16 years old. I mean, when we look at the rulings, whether, whether it was racial or whatever, you got to remember, Althea Gibson won, the, uh, won Wilmington. She was in her 30s because she was denied uh, an opportunity. I just think when an opportunity presents itself now, I'm not saying that's true for all youngsters, because some youngsters should stay in school and get get an education. 
But to suggest that one year uh, in college is going to make a difference, I don't think, uh, as far as I'm concerned, no. And then try and remember, the cost of college is out-distancing the poor. It's out-distancing the poor. For youngsters to be able to go to college nowadays at the cost of fifty, forty, sixty thousand dollars a year, college should not be something that's for the privileged few. So when we get youngsters who are athletes that can enhance their lives by going to college, I don't think there should be any restrictions. And if it's athletes, I think all of them should fall in the same class. Let them rise uh, to the level where they can compete like everyone else. So, and so you're of the opinion, I mean, I, there, there should be no, no restrictions whatsoever. No, I'm saying that if you're going to allow a Nuxall who came into the uh, baseball world at 16 or 17 years old, if you're going to allow the Williams sisters to win championships at 16 and 17 years old, I mean, what are we saying here? I mean, in one sport, uh, it, sh- it, it should be different because it's basketball. Who is to say whether the maturity level, whether it's the maturity level in terms of age or in terms of their uh, physical uh, uh, or their motor skill or their mental skill? I just think that for us to go back as we look at it, they were arguing about Kobe Bryant that should never have gone to the NBA. LeBron James should never have gone to the NBA. Kevin Garnett should never have gone to the, gone to the NBA. Coming out of high And these are our stars today. Sure. So I, I, I think that if a youngster uh, is going to go to college and if he stays there one or two years, or, that's on him. But to suggest that we put restrictions on them uh, in the NBA – could have done that years ago, but I think the NBA would not be where it is today. Many of those guys that did go to go to college uh, from the uh, 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 and go to the NBA from the college, many of those guys went back and got their degrees, like a Michael Jordan who left uh, early, Worthy who left. Many of them, other than Duncan, Duncan is perhaps one of the very few of those that did not. He stayed in school for four years. But to suggest to the public or we who are uh, paying for these games that we should uh, dictate uh, what level youngsters should go, I think that uh, it's been proven that uh, no one can suggest that by looking at the number of professional basketball players that are superstars, and many of them did not go to. I mean, we got a LeBron James. Most valuable player now three years. Right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, uh, Kobe Bryant, the same way. Uh, I, you know, I just don't, uh, I don't argue that point. But I do feel that if a youngster does not have those abilities to get to that level, he should take advantage of college and stay in college. And let the... Uh, and let the gifted move on. Sure. <laughs> that the voice of the legendary John Chaney 
as he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And when you when you speak and, and so passionately, uh, Coach Cheney, it takes me it did just kind of takes me back to the eighties. You know, I, I grew up in the Washington area. John Thompson, the coach uh, of Georgetown, you guys, and you're talking about black coaches at the Division One level, uh, non HBCUs. You know, when, when you think about those times, what what comes to, to mind most when you think uh, about John Thompson and those times? Uh, uh, just those times in coaching against him as well. Well, John and uh, Nolan Richardson, uh, George Ravlin, Big House Gaines. I mean, these are guys that just fought, fought like the Dickens for access and opportunity. That's all we talked about in those years. Access. Give us access. And provide us with an opportunity. And let us rise to our own level as opposed to someone else dictating or someone else uh, suggesting that they know better. And I think that we've been proven right over and over and over. Access and opportunity. And I was very passionate in those days when we found ourselves uh, threatening a boycott. Because of those very same reasons. That there was denial of opportunity, denial of access, and I think that's what we fought for. I mean, we fought, uh, went to Washington, spoke to Congress, and of course, we were being ushered and banded about with the fact that there was something going to be done, and we took the strike off. It was called off on a Sunday. I don't know that date. But we were all ready to go. Not only were we ready to go, we had the likes of people like Mike Krzyzewski with us. We had many coaches around the country that were with us, black and white, that were trying to to fight for access for youngsters uh, and making sure they found themselves in a situation where uh, if they gain uh, a, a, a opportunity, they could show the responsibility of overcoming the odds. Sure, and when I think about that, and you you eloquently stated denial of access, and you were able to have the access at the Division One level with Temple, but prior to that, you were the head coach at Cheney State for ten seasons, winning a national championship. I know. A lot of listeners don't know about that just prior, of course, to you coming to Temple. what Talk, talk about those days at, at, at Cheney State and how you were able to uh, just uh, have such a great program and, of course, ultimately win a national championship in 1978. Well, try and remember, that was perhaps uh, my, uh, my greatest uh, opportunity at that stage because I didn't have, we didn't have the kind of, of money, and we didn't have the kind of of uh, access to uh, to the newspapers or or television or anything like that. Only thing we had was somebody who was in leadership, and that was Wade Wilson, who gave me an opportunity, gave Vivian Stringer an opportunity, who is now at Rutgers, one of our Hall of Fame coaches there. Both of us were there at the same time. The only thing about it is she had one of the biggest fights 
at the time, and that was fighting uh, to get into the NCAs because the NCAs didn't represent the women. Then they had the old uh, uh, W. I can't think of the name of it now. But my God, we were both fighting. But she was Division One because she was out there playing uh, Immaculata and all the Delta State and all those great teams. In fact, she ended up in the Final Four one year. And they didn't even have enough money. They didn't have enough money to even send the girls out to the Final Four. Talking with former Temple coach John Cheney. Go ahead, Coach Cheney. You were talking about those those wonderful days at Cheney State and winning a national championship. But uh, me, I guess that what I did was I had a chance to formulate my own schedule like I did at Cheney, Liz, I mean, at, uh, at Temple. I went out to try to seek an opportunity to play the best teams at Division II level. And there were many, many teams. Akron was one and Steubenville, Gannon, some of the top teams uh, in Division Two, which would provide us an opportunity if we ever got it, because we won about five or six uh, regional championships before we finally got to win the national championship. But that kind of exposure provided me with experience from that point on, and it also provided experience to Vivian and uh I'm so happy that both of us, very few people know that, um, that both of us was born right there at that great uh, land-grant college, the Quakers land-grant college, Cheney State, which is now Cheney University in the, in the state system in Pennsylvania. And uh, both of us are so, so very grateful for having been given that opportunity and now she's moved on to be one of the great coaches in in basketball at Rutgers. No question about it. That the voice of the legendary John Cheney, of course, coached 24 seasons at Temple, 10 at Cheney State, won a national championship at Cheney State in 1978, a graduate of then Bethune-Cookman College, now Bethune-Cookman University, joins us here on the program. Coach Cheney winning that championship in, in national championship, that is, in 1978. What did that mean to you at that time? Well, I just think that, uh, you know, uh, when we, after having won uh, and, and, and come back uh, to, uh, to, the, uh, to that little valley out there at Cheney State and found that our president was walking around with all these stout-hearted guys and going up to, uh, uh, to, uh, to the state legislature, it meant so much to Cheney because... We had some bragging rights then, and the president would go up, and he'd, he'd find himself standing tall with everybody else and begging for more money for the state college. <laughs> 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 but that was outstanding. And for us to, to come back uh, with uh, every one of those youngsters or now, today, are so successful. And I, I hear them, I get together with them, and every last one of them uh, graduated from school and went on to, uh, to be successful in whatever their undertakings were. That is awesome. And then because, you know, and I'm trying to think back, and you probably would know this 
uh, obviously better than I would or better than we would because at the time, I mean, there was really not that many um, coaches, uh, black coaches at at, at uh, non-HBCUs on the Division One level. Uh, how did you end up getting the job, uh, first of all, at Temple? Well, one of the things I think that I was so fortunate in that you know, like it's it, what's important for success is who you work for. I mean, there was one guy that looked at me when I was in high school, and that was Wade Wilson. He ended up getting killed out in at superintendent of schools out in uh, out in uh, California because he left here, and uh, with him, uh, he chose me. And then Dr. Peter Leo Corris at Temple University looked at me and thought that I could come to Temple and add something to Temple at the time. And I think that he found a way to get to me because uh, I was looking to become a, I was already had my master's, but I wanted to, I wanted my doctorate uh, at, at Cheney and uh and I think he found my Achilles, and that was lobster tails. <laughs> so <laughs> he kept feeding me enough lobster tails for me and my folks. So I decided to go. <laughs> He's going out over there. I got you. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> some some good times. And then, I mean, kind of the climate. Can you, can you kind of speak to the climate at that time? Again, uh, probably one of the few black coaches at the time. And, again, I, I was I was younger then, so I wouldn't know exactly, but – what was the climate like being, you know, kind of being at Temple, not just at Temple and in Philly, but n- nationally in terms of you as a black man being the coach at Temple? Well, you know, for many, many years, the only time that we found outside of John, and of course we had great coaches at that time, many great coaches around the country in some of our black schools. And uh, we found that when white coaches got jobs at the Division One A level, they thought about hiring, and they they would always hire a black coach for more or less to come in to handle the black players because it was argued that they perhaps could ha- handle a lots of their problems, the educational problems, because they figured that black coaches could identify black players better, but not necessarily at the top level. And I think that that's what we had to fight to overcome for was many, many years. Try and remember that uh, Nolan, I think, was at Tulsa. I don't know if he was at Tulsa at the same time. Maybe he was at Tulsa at the same time as John. But they basically were two of us, of our stellar coaches at the time. And for the most part, there were very few others. And I think that uh, it was always looked upon as a very difficult chore until you got somebody at the presidential level that would find it uh, necessary and find it possible to bring somebody on like me or somebody like George Ravlin and some of the others. I think that... uh, Peter Leocorsi looked past what the arguments were at that time and sat down with me and talked with me to let me know that he wanted me. 
The legendary John Chaney joins us here on the program. A couple of more thoughts, Coach Chaney, and we appreciate the time. What does it mean to you? Because when you think about A-10 basketball, it wasn't, uh, you know, very prevalent until you came along uh, and really built that Temple program up, many Elite Eight appearances. What does it mean to you to have, you know, in essence, elevated the A-10? Well, when I came uh, to Temple, try and remember, we didn't have a television contract. We didn't have any exposure at all. In fact, the Big Five was looked at as bigger and better than any of us at the level of, if you understand me, at the level of the Atlantic 10. Sure, sure. The Big Five was looked at as uh, at the top level. Sure, Villanova, LaSalle, yourself, et cetera, sure. Sure. Yeah, and then, you know, like, looking at it parochially, you know, in, in a local way, I came there, and the first thing I did the first day, I said, let me tell you something. I want to play the 50 of the top teams in this country. I wrote down a list and gave it to Gavin White, who was the athletic director at the time, and suggested to him, we want to go out. I'm going to let them know I'm going to come to their place. If I have to come there three times... And if they come back to my place one time, I'll do it. Now, there were some schools that bid on that, like UCLA and Carolina with Dean Smith, because he still owes me a game. You had uh, Denny Crum, uh, uh, who, who's, uh, uh, who, uh, who allowed me to get on his schedule. Las Vegas, I went out to them three times before he came to me once. That was Tarkanian at the time. We went out to Illinois. We went all of the big colleges around the country, and we would play them. Until we begin to beat them, in fact, we beat UCLA twice at their place, and then they decided to come to us. That was with Reggie and all those guys. They had 10, 11 pros on the team. Then we played uh, teams like Duke and teams like Indiana with Bobby. And they made it very clear, John, we're not getting involved. We're going to play you home and away every year. So they were the classiest of all the guys, believe me, when they put us on their schedule home and away. You know, we played them this year. At their place, they come back to me next year. Well, no gimmickry about, you know, two years, uh, you know, one skip year, that kind of thing. So I have to praise those guys, Mike Krzyzewski and the rest of those guys, and Bobby Knight, whom I was thankful of the fact that, uh, you know, we didn't have to play them three times. We played Louisville three times. And I think we beat them all three times. And uh, Carolina, we played them twice and beat them down at their place, and they decided, well... <laughs> Uh, we're not coming back to you no more. So, <laughs> it, it, uh, it we, had a reverse effect, right, Coach? Yeah. And from all of that, we found ourselves getting into the NCAs, which nowadays you can't. I think we got into the NCAs three times with 17 wins. And you can't do that today because of strength of schedule, great one and loss record, and how you finish. That was the formula in those days. So we were able to manage that. From that, the Atlantic 10 
had to step it up. They had to stop playing locally five or six times. Uh, they had to get out and play some of the big guys because we began to change the formula, strength of schedule. And they found that getting one of us in the tournament wasn't going to be good enough. Let me tell you how bad it was one year. One year, we won. We won the tournament. West Virginia was our regular season champion. Regular season. And did not and did not make it to the tournament. Wow. Can you believe that? No, can't. Regular season champions. And we were the tournament champion, which is an automatic bid. And West Virginia didn't make it. I mean, that's unbelievable. So from there, we ended up with a, with a tournament. We end up with uh, being tournament in the tournament almost every year because of strength and schedule. Then all of a sudden, the rest of the team start to schedule, all because of us. In fact, uh, I can remember Massachusetts, uh, the coach now at Kentucky, saying very clearly uh, that uh, uh, it, was, it was because of us that they began to follow suit. Um, so I think that from there we got a television contract because we had to, but it was basically because of Temple leading the way. It's Donald Ware, from the press box to press row. Former Temple coach, Cheney State coach, Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Famer, John Cheney joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row as we wrap up the conversation. And Coach Cheney, what do you remember most about those days at Bethune-Cookman? I remember so much about one of the signs on the chapel as we would enter Vespers every Sunday to hear this great woman who was one of the great women, black women in this country, worked for Franklin Delano Roosevelt, worked with Ralph Bunch, ambassador to the United Nations, and she was an ambassador as well. I remember so distinctly as we would enter that chapel, there was a big sign that says, enter to learn the part to serve. That has never, ever left me. It's still with me even today. Enter to learn the part to serve. And uh, that, uh, go ahead, Coach Shaney. I think that that is, that is one of the great things about uh, Bethune Cookman that I will always remember and the year that uh, I graduated <laughs> in, uh, in 55 was the year that uh, they buried uh, Miss Mary McLeod Bethune uh, right there on our campus if you're ever there go and visit she was outstanding and I'm so happy that I had a chance to meet a great, great legend. 
That is absolutely awesome, uh, Coach Cheney. We really appreciate the time here on From the Press Box to Press Row. I, I think, you know, for me at least, and, uh, and knowing that you went to Bethune-Cookman, of course, coached initially at Cheney State and then to take it uh, to Temple and really take uh, the A-10 college basketball to another level. And not only that, really – uh, the, the consciousness of college basketball, especially in the mid '90s, and and you touched on it uh, with the with the almost walkout uh, of the coaches. I think that was outstanding. Definitely standing up for your rights. We appreciate the time here on the program, and we'll catch up with you real soon. Thank you so much, and uh, run across some of my guys like John and Nolan, George Ravlin. Just tell them that. Uh, I still love them in spite of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal, Coach. We'll talk with you later. All right. Okay, Take care. Easy. You too. Stay well. You too.